great to have Miss Grace on the piano as well. I appreciate her being there tonight and uh, doing a great job. Colossians chapter number one is where we're going to be tonight. Colossians chapter number one. Um, and I'm going to do what I can to make this uh, a brief message. I, I think it will be, but you know, famous last words, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, we're going to read verses 20 through 22. If you're able to stand, if you could do so uh, one more time as we read God's word together. Colossians 1, 20 through 22. Uh, the Bible says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Lord, thank you for the wonderful service thus far and for the many uh, good testimonies and decisions that were made at men's advance. Lord, uh, please help us all, those who made decisions, Lord, to keep the things that we've decided, and Lord, to implement uh, the Word of God, to not be deceived uh, by just hearing and not doing anything about it. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true, not only in men's advance, but even what we do with the message that uh, is before us today. And uh, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, uh, we did start a few weeks ago uh, the series uh, Risen with Christ, going through the book of Colossians. And the last time we were in this book, we took some time to talk about who Christ is, who Jesus is. And in verses 15 down through verse number 19, uh, we go through quite a description of who the Lord Jesus is. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, He is the firstborn of every creature. Uh, verse 16 talks about how Jesus is the creator, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And we talked about in verse number 17, he is before all things. He's eternal. Uh, he's always existed and always will exist. And in verse 17, it says, and by him all things consist. He is the sustainer of all things. Verse 18 tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And we mentioned in that moment that the pastor is not the head of the body, the church. Um, the congregation isn't the head of the body. Um, the deacons aren't. The denominational headquarters aren't. Uh, the trustees aren't. Um, the, the youth group isn't. Um, who, who's in charge of the church? The Lord Jesus is. He is the head of the body, the church. And it says, who is the beginning uh, the beginning, of course, of the church, but also the beginning of all creation as well. He is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he is the first one to uh, be resurrected. Uh, he's not the first one to be resurrected, but he's the first one to be resurrected uh, with a glorified body to never die again. Uh, Lazarus, he was resurrected, but uh, his body was uh, ended up dying later on. But Jesus, uh, when he rose from the grave, he rose, number one, by his own power and also uh, with a glorified body. And it says 
in verse number 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's where we uh, kind of gave the application in the last message where um, this is something that he should, but is it true in our lives and in our church? Is he really preeminent in our church and is he really preeminent in our lives? He certainly desires to be and certainly desires to be. And then in verse number 19, it says, for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell. And we talked about in that, that Jesus is God, uh, 100% man, yes, but also 100% God at the same time. But then here in verse number 20, Paul uh, changes and, and he, he transitions to not talk necessarily about who Jesus is, but now uh, what Jesus accomplished and what his death in particular accomplished in our lives. John Phillips, in his commentary on this passage, um, I liked what he said so much, I, I put it in my notes because I thought, this is, he says it better than I could ever say it. He said this, um, he, he goes from the dizziest heights of who Christ is to the uttermost depths. In verse number 20, it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. So first we're, he's talking about who Jesus is and this high and lofty language of who Christ is. And then he gets down to the, uh, the most darkest part of who Christ, or what, what Christ did for us when he died for us on the cross. So he said he, he goes from the dizziest heights to the uttermost depths, from light unapproachable to night unbelievable. And from the thunderous applause of the heavenly hosts to the bitter blasphemies of murderous men. He says in a single sentence, down we come from the realm where Christ is crowned with glory and honor to the place where he was crucified in weakness and shame. And that's the transition that we take here from verse 19 to verse number 20. Uh, the title of the message tonight is simply Reconciled. And uh, this, ver this word is mentioned a couple times in this passage alone. In verse number uh, 20 it's mentioned and also in verse number 21, it is mentioned. So the word reconciled is an important word in this passage. And what does the word reconciled mean? It means brought into friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity. And this is the big idea of the Bible. One of the main themes of this book right here uh, is the reconciliation of man to God. Now, to be clear, not once in the Bible is it ever said that God is reconciled to man. Okay? God has no need to be reconciled to us. Uh, we are the ones who need to be reconciled to him. It's like the old story of the man and a wife driving down the road in their car. Man was driving, just kind of minding his own business and, and uh, just kind of doing what, you know, thinking what guys think. Nothing. <laughs> and uh, he's just driving along, and, and his wife was sitting... Um, on by him and, and on her side by the window and she noticed a young couple in the passing car that kind of passed them to the left and it, and it set the thoughts running through her mind and so she, she, she said Fred do you remember when we were courting when we were dating he says yep sure do do you remember how you would hold my hand sure do do you remember how close we used to sit when we went out in that old jalopy of yours? Yep, I remember. Do you remember how you would put your one arm around me and drive with just one hand, Fred? Do you remember that? Sure do, he said. 
And she said, well, how come we don't sit like that no more? He said, I ain't moved. <laughs> you see, God is not the one who has moved away from us. We were the ones who moved away from him. Isaiah says it this way, oh, every man turned everyone to his own way. We were the ones who uh, bailed from God, not God bailing from us. So we were the ones who need to be reconciled back to God, not God back to us. Uh, just to be very clear, I wanted to make that statement. So uh, tonight as we go through this passage, I want to uh, go through a couple thoughts here. Number one, it's already on the screen here. Number one, the means of reconciliation. How were we reconciled back to God? Well, Paul answers that question with the words in verse number 20. Uh, verse number 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross. How did we have peace with God? Well, he says it was through the blood of his cross. And then later in verse 22, it says this, um, In the body of his flesh through death. So, uh, the bottom line is it was through the shedding of blood and his death on the cross that was able to make a way in which we can be reconciled back to God. There was nothing that we could do. He did it all on the cross. Uh, well, some people think, well, I need to do enough penance and I need to go to a confession booth and I need to go through the sacraments and I need to do these things and then maybe God will uh, have mercy upon me and allow me to be reconciled back to him. Nope. Nothing needs to be done because it has already been done on the cross of Calvary. You see, he died on the cross and he shed his blood all so that we could be reconciled back to him. Consider the times that he shed his blood. He shed his blood, you, we obviously think of the cross, but before that he shed his blood on a couple of instances. First, he in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying there um, hours before he is crucified, and there in Luke chapter 22, in verse 44, it says this, And being in, a, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So as he's praying there, he's in such agony that uh, his, his, the surface vessels uh, of his skin begin to uh, burst, and he begins to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and so blood was being shed there in the Garden of Gethsemane, even before he gets to the cross. Then John chapter 19, the Bible says that Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And uh, he takes Jesus and, and has Roman soldiers uh, administer tremendous torture and uh, tear, literally tear apart the flesh of our Savior. And there Jesus no doubt spills a ton of blood. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head and on his brow, and then they took a reed and smashed it down into his scalp. And, and so he's got blood coming out from his torso that has been ripped to shreds from that Roman soldier through the scourging. But then now uh, blood is pouring down his face because of the crown of thorns that gets put on, on his head. And then the Bible says that they take a robe and put, put it on Jesus to mock him because you know, being the king of the Jews, he's got to have a nice uh, a royal robe. So they put this robe on and this crown of thorns just to completely mock him. And he has that robe on his torso and all the open wounds there. And no doubt that robe kind of starts getting stuck inside those wounds. 
and then a little later they take the robe off and I'm sure they didn't carefully say, oh, I'm so sorry, I know this hurts, but let me help you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I imagine they ripped that thing off, exposing again those wounds that the cloth had uh, stuck to. So blood continues to pour out. And of course, then we get to the cross as Jesus carries his own cross piece up that hill to Golgotha, to Calvary. And, and uh, I imagine that that probably didn't feel too good as he was carrying that own cross piece on his broken body already. And he gets up there and then those Roman soldiers take those nails three to six inches in length and put them in between the two major bones in the wrist and pound those in there. And then go to the next wrist and do it again. And then take the feet and put one on top of the other and right through the feet. And so blood coming from both wrists and the feet. Say, that's a lot of blood. Yeah, that wasn't the end. After Jesus died, then the Roman soldiers, they had to make sure that those uh, criminals on the cross were officially medically dead. And so... Uh, they began to break, the, uh, break the, the knees and the legs of the two outside criminals. But then when they got to Jesus, they noticed he was dead. They wanted to make sure, though. So they took that spear and thrust it in his side. And the Bible says, out with came blood and water. And so Jesus spilled his blood. And so when it says here in verse number 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross... That means something. That's special. That he was willing to go to that great length so that we could be reconciled. In the book of Hebrews, we read these words, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You think about in uh, the book of Exodus says, the last plague comes through, the death of the firstborn, and the only way to uh, not have your firstborn die in that scenario was to take the blood of an innocent animal and put that blood on the doorposts. And the death angel that night as he came through uh, saw the blood, and if he saw the blood, he would pass over, which is where we get the Passover. And so uh, tonight, as 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 we consider the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, and, and, and He was innocent and His blood was spilt, the only way that we're going to be reconciled is we take the blood and apply it to our lives. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, tonight is the night for you to take care of that. Robert Lowry in 1876 wrote these words, blessed words that we love to sing here at Cornerstone, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Look, nothing, for, nothing can for sin atone. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's nothing I could do. It was all the things that he did on the cross for me. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, you cannot be reconciled to God. The means for reconciliation is not through a church. It's not through good works. It's through the blood of the Lamb. 
There's only one way we can be reconciled back to God, and it had to be blood from an innocent lamb. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. And so we see the means of reconciliation. But then number two, I want us to see the measure of reconciliation. In uh, verse number 20, it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him uh, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So his reconciliation, what is the measure of it? What did it encompass? What does it include? Well, we see, first of all, in verse number 20, we see the realms of reconciliation, the realms. What does Jesus and what will Jesus reconcile unto himself? Verse 20 tells us that it extends to the two realms of earth and heaven. And, and, and first in this, we see that we see the reconciliation of things. And the word things is mentioned a couple times in verse number 20. By him I say whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And actually it's three times in this verse. It says by him to reconcile all things unto himself. You see, both heaven and earth have been defiled by sin. So heaven, how, what do you mean heaven's been defiled by sin? Well, you go back to the very beginning of where sin originated with Lucifer who was in heaven and he got lifted up in pride and said, I will be like the Most High. That took place in heaven. And so to a point, heaven has been defiled by sin. And of course, we know earth has been with Adam and Eve uh, disobeying the very one law that God gave. Well, one day God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 1 records this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. See, all traces of sin are one day going to be removed and he's going to reconcile all things unto himself. The only remaining marks of sin left behind at that point is a pretty remarkable thought. There's going to be a couple marks of sin in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. There is going to be a couple marks. There's going to be one right here. And there's going to be one right here. And perhaps the side and the feet of our Savior. As an eternal reminder of what Jesus did for us to allow us to be in that wonderful, glorious place. See, the only remaining marks of sin left behind at that point will be the nail prints on the hands and feet of our great Savior. Now, it's interesting. In verse 20, it says only two realms, heaven and earth. God's reign is extended to three realms. In Philippians chapter number uh, 2, and I won't take the time uh, tonight to go through it, but it says on earth, in heaven, and in hell, all will bow down to his reign. But but, but those who can be reconciled to God are only in heaven and earth. And this, this is kind of an interesting thought here, and I don't have time to totally develop it and, and give all the scriptures on it, maybe some other time. 
But, uh, but this also refers to the animal creation and even to inanimate objects that have been defiled by sin. That one day he's going to reconcile all things unto himself. And that's what verse 20 says. Uh, obviously, it does not refer to Satan, to other fallen angels, or to unbelieving men. Their eternal doom is clear, clearly pronounced in the scriptures. So we see the realms, um, but more importantly, we see the rebels in verse 21. It says, he is going to reconcile all things unto himself, whether the things be in uh, earth or things in heaven. But then verse 21, he goes, and you. The measure, the measure of reconciliation included not just the realms, but also the rebels, which was all of us. Um, we see now not just the reconciliation of things, now we see the reconciliation of people. And it extends to all of us who were rebels. In verse 21, he gives us some uh, descriptive words about who we were before we came to Christ. We were alienated. We were enemies in your mind by wicked works. So reconciliation isn't for the good people. It's for the bad people. It's for you and me. Jesus said in Mark 2, verse 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to understand that that is our condition before the Lord. We are, it says, first of all, alienated. We were separated from God. Because of man's sin, he is shut out from God and can only approach him through the blood of Christ. I remember my very first day of seventh grade. Uh, the way it worked in my, when I grew up, uh, we had an elementary school that really started at kindergarten and went all the way through sixth grade. And then we went to a junior high, which was only seventh and eighth grade. And the seventh grade, I showed up on my first day of school and I'm excited, nervous, scared. Uh, you know, I was a big fish in a little pond in, in sixth grade, you know, and then you get to junior high and then you're this little fish in a big pond. And that's how I felt. And I was like out of sorts. I didn't know really where I was. This eighth grader comes up to me and he looks at me and he says, are you an alien? That was my first day of junior high. It was a strange question to be asked. And I said, as cool as I could. No, but actually, at that point, I really wasn't an alien anymore because I had actually trusted Christ as my Savior prior to going to um, seventh grade. But if you're here and you're not a uh, Christian, then you are an alien. <laughs> not like what you would see on TV, but you get the idea here. We are separated from God. We're alienated. Um, and we were, second, secondly, it says, enemies in your mind. Man's first sin is, first of all, in the mind and in the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? So we were alienated. We were enemies in our mind. And then, and then it says wicked works. So a sinful heart and mind produces wicked works. Matthew 15, 18 says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, and they 
all of a sudden they, they, they come out of the heart. And these wicked works that uh, we have all done uh, all came from the heart. And uh, the, the rebels, and I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that God's reconciliation went to those of us who were sometime alienated, we were enemies in our minds by wicked works, but, but notice here in verse number 21 at the end of it, it says, yet now hath he reconciled. In spite of our alienation, in spite of our enemy being enemies in our mind, in spite of the wicked works which we have done, he has, in his grace and mercy, reconciled us. And I like the little word there in verse 21 where it says, yet now hath he reconciled. See, it's already an accomplished fact. It's already been done. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that's in the past, and it's a current situation. We are currently, as believers in Christ, reconciled. That's our status. And I'm grateful for that truth. So we have the measure of reconciliation, number three. And let me wrap it up here with this thought, and that is the meaning of reconciliation. And we find this in verse 22. In the body of his flesh... We, we have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Let me very quickly explain what this means. So the meaning of reconciliation is that we would be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable. None of us fit any of those descriptions on our own. None of us are holy. None of us are unblameable. None of us are unreprovable on our own. Because really, here's what the Bible says about us as uh, mankind. Psalm 53, verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. And God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and that did seek God. But every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. <coughs> and yet, once his blood has been applied to our account, to the doorposts of our heart, he sees us as holy, as unblameable, and as unreprovable. This is the principle of justification. And many of you have heard this definition of justification, that when we're justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And so as, if we're covered in the blood and, and when Calvary covers it all for us, then Jesus doesn't see me for all of my sin because that's a past thing. What he currently sees is that I've been reconciled and he looks at me through the blood of Christ. Satan, of the, the accuser of the brethren, takes our filthiness, our faults, and uh, before God saying, he's not worthy to be part of your family. And, and, and you know what? Satan's right. None of us are. But you know what? God says, well, I don't see their faults because it's covered in the blood. You see, the blood has covered all of our uh, sin, and I'm so very thankful for that. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Even the sin of divorce that we talked about this morning, 
I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You see, when the blood has been applied to our life and to our account, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He has chosen to not remember. He can because God can remember all things. He doesn't have a memory like mine or yours. Um, he doesn't forget anything, but he has chosen to remember no more because of the blood that was shed uh, by his dear son. One of the most vivid illustrations in the Bible of reconciliation was in Luke chapter 15, and I'd love to take the time to go through that story. But most of us can know enough or are familiar enough uh, when Jesus told us about the young man who asked his dad for his portion of the inheritance. And he goes and, and he departs from his dad and goes and wastes his substance with, as the Bible calls, riotous living. And I read something a few days ago when a dad was asking his son about this story, the prodigal son. He asked, he asked him, son, who was, who was mad when the young man came home? Expecting him to say the older brother, but the boy responded with, well, I think the fatted calf, he was pretty mad. <laughs> yeah, because he uh, saw the end of his life. Um, but you think about that for a minute. The fatted calf is a representative of this, the innocent lamb of God that was killed and blood was sh shed to allow this reconciliation. The, the, so we see the means in that story, the blood of an innocent fatted calf. We see the measure. This extended to quite the rebel. He was involved in filth, and he had no doubt faults, and yet he repented and came home. And the meaning to be made right with his father, and his father didn't look at him as a prodigal who wasted his substance. He looked at him as his son. As God looks at us, he doesn't see us as this, this filthy, uh, rebellious person, but he sees us as his child. John says it this way, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And we don't deserve that. And John, his mind was blown. He was like, man, behold what manner. It's amazing. So tonight, here's a couple thoughts. Tonight, if you need to be saved, if you need to be reconciled to the Heavenly Father, look, Jesus made it possible through his sacrifice on the cross and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free from the bondage of your sin and to be made right with God. You simply need to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, and that he rose again the third day, it's simple enough for even a child to be saved. But it does require faith as a little child. And so tonight, if you need to be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. Tonight, we've talked about being reconciled back to the Lord, but what should that produce in our lives? Well, I would say, first of all, a gratitude for his mercy and grace to offer us a way of reconciliation. I mean, 
the most thankful people on the planet should be believers. When we really realize the fact that we were terrible rebels who were alienated, enemies, wicked works, that was all of us. And when, when, we, when we know that God, through his mercy and grace, made a way for us to be reconciled back to him by having, enabling to have peace with God through his blood, that should cause us to be grateful no matter what our circumstances are. And so let's walk away tonight grateful for the tremendous grace and mercy that God has given to us. But then it also should produce in us a desire to be reconciled with those in our lives that we have differences with as well. I think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. What a beautiful picture of human reconciliation. When <clears throat> he and his brothers were right with each other after 20 years of separation. I mean, they totally mistreated Joseph. His brothers did. But after 20 years, there was reconciliation. And they thought, okay, well, he's just forgiving because dad's still around and he wants peace for dad. But once dad's gone, then all bets are off and he's going to really let us have it. Well, dad ended up dying. And they thought, oh boy, here it comes. And he said, God meant it for good. I forgive you. A spirit of reconciliation, not just with God, but also with one another. If there's somebody here tonight that has something against someone, can I encourage you to have this spirit of reconciliation? Romans 12 and verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And then the last thought here is, is this. If you have been reconciled with the Lord, if you would just, we'll end by turning here to first, Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Very quickly, and we'll wrap it up. I know it's a little later of a night, but um, at least it's going to be a little, not as late of a night as last Sunday. So as long as I can make it a little earlier than last Sunday, we'll be okay. Now, but 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number <clears throat> 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And then here it is. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So... He has reconciled us to, Christ, to, to himself through his son. We've already talked about that. But now he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation with others so that we go and encourage one another or others to have this reconciliation with God. And he's given that ministry to all of us. So I didn't sign up for that ministry. I don't remember signing my name on a clipboard anywhere. Speaking of, we do have a VBS clipboard in the back that we want to encourage you to sign up with, right? Amen on that? <laughs> okay. Um, but, you, but you might be thinking, well, hey, I never did sign up for, to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. Uh, you didn't have to. God signed you up the moment you got saved. 
And you and I have a responsibility then as part of this ministry of reconciliation to get the gospel out there so that others can be reconciled to God just like you were. We have been given that. Verse 20, it says in that passage, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ, and, and, and you are an ambassador for Christ. What a privilege. What an honor to represent him in this ministry of reconciliation. So as we talk tonight about our reconciliation, because that is... Uh, the, the focus of that little passage, those three verses in First Cor- Cor- Colossians chapter number one. Um, if you're not, if you've never been reconciled to God, tonight's the night. If you have, let's be thankful. Let's make sure that we're reconciled with one another, and let's go out and serve the Lord in this ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for allowing us a way to be reconciled back to you. And and God, it was an expensive way. It cost your son his life, his blood. But Lord, we're grateful that you made a way and that it extends even to us who were indeed rebels. And Lord, we thank you that you're doing this all so that one day you'll be able to present us unblameable, unreprovable before, um, before you. And Lord, we know that it's not because of how great we are. We know it's only because you're seeing us through the lens of the blood of Christ. And Lord, we just stand in in gratitude and we thank you for that. And now, Lord, help us to be faithful as we get the message of reconciliation out into this world, that there is a way for people to have peace with God. And Lord, help us to be faithful in that way and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.